every day we're waking up and saying, what is the best latest information we could provide? Because everybody knows that you're getting invited to way too many Zoom calls, you're getting way too many playbooks, you're hearing way too much advice. The one thing we've tried to do is just stay sensitive in terms of how much information we're sharing because we know people are being inundated. And we're always trying to think about, you know, what's that kind of next thing you should be thinking about as an occupier so that we can, you know, inform our clients on the cutting edge. On our opening episode of Further Faster, we take a deep dive into the Chicago space market with CBRE Senior Vice President, Mark Quesada. CBRE is the largest full-service real estate company in the world, and Mark has been a tenant rep with their Chicago office since 2012. Through an approach that is equal parts methodical and scrappy, over the last eight years, Mark and his team have built enormous market share and have always been some of the most reliable when it comes to market data. Mark, what's going on, man? How are you? Good, man. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm doing well. I really, um, really appreciate you coming on and, and joining us for our Storm Clouds podcast. <laughs> um, you know, just a little background. Um, it's just Storm Clouds is always a, a kind of a, an inside joke that Mark and his team has has used to make me feel uncomfortable about what's coming in the market. Um, and, um, you know, over the years, I've developed a great relationship with you. Um, you were nice enough to invite me to your wedding. It was a great time, obviously. And, um, but, um, you know, we always joked about the sports storm clouds coming. And it was, it was mainly because you and your team always have, has data that um, I feel like is kind of a step ahead of what other folks are, are tracking. Before we get to the data stuff and, and probably the stuff that people are really interested about, um, you know, I, I do want to talk about your background again. You know, I think with this podcast, we've really tried to get into the story. Um, everyone's got a story. And um, I know you were a little bit, um, you know, cautious about wanting to talk about it um, because you are very humble. Um, but just take 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 us all back to, you know, when you graduated college and, and how you got into the industry, because I just think it's absolutely fascinating and it's um, it's 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 inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm 34 now. I got in the business um, in 10, so about 10 years now, graduated in 08. And uh, as you can imagine, 08 wasn't the best time to get in the market. Um, definitely a good time to just set the bar pretty low in terms of expectations of getting a job just because of, you know, kind of post post-financial crisis. So uh, after I graduated in 08, I actually worked for my fraternity for a year. Um, it's kind of a nonprofit type thing where I was traveling the country, living out of my car for a year um, throughout Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas. You take a small salary, you get your expenses paid. But one of the benefits of it was um, this unbelievable professional development. Um, I went to Illinois State. I'm from a small town just north of Rockford. I think I'm the 90-something great-grandchild of, of my mom's side and the second person to go to college. So, um, you know, going to Illinois State, coming out of there looking for a job definitely wasn't the, you know, most kind of shiny object, if you will. So the, the fraternity gave me a big opportunity to um, really learn how to walk, how to talk, how to dress, how to act, how to speak um, through a three-month program in Richmond, Virginia that, that kind of set off my professional career. So I did that for a year down in Texas. And then, um, you know, I had the Jose bank suit rolling up to downtown <laughs> Chicago. Uh, I remember meeting with companies and, you know, each company I'd met with daily occupied, you know, one or two floors in a building. And for some reason I thought it was their corporate headquarters and occupied the whole building. 
and um, met with a handful of brokers in 09 and all of them were kind of like, you know, who do you know? Do you need a draw? What kind of background do you have in real estate? Do you have your license? And the answer was, I don't know anybody. I don't know where Wacker Drive is. I definitely need a draw and I don't know anybody. Um, so that those conversations were pretty quick. And I actually ended up landing in Madison, Wisconsin as a broker, uh, 09 and 10. And uh, up there, it's much different than downtown Chicago. Up there, you got to be a little more scrappy. You got to do a little bit of everything. Ended up on the east side of Madison, Wisconsin, um, in a business park that American Family Insurance kind of anchored. First floor facing a, a parking lot, just picking up the old phone book and Excel spreadsheet and kind of hammering away. We'd uh, go door to door with sublease flyers for days at a time, go to different manufacturing companies, handing out stuff, call people who own big apartment buildings and just kind of, you know, roll with it. So it was definitely a much different experience than Tenet Rep downtown, which is super specific and focused. Um, but what it did do was it gave me a, a much better perspective of a real estate in general, how it functions, what it's like to be an owner. And not just being an office tenant rep, but looking at, you know, industrial, multifamily, retail investments uh, to get a much better grasp. Whereas I think um, downtown, it can be a little more tunnel vision, which can kind of work to your um, dismay if you're not careful as a tenant rep broker. So I moved here in, in 10, um, started off at CB. You know, the conversation changed from 09 to call it 11 when I got here. At that time, you know, I came to him and I basically just said, give me a desk and, and I don't need a draw. And that's that's when I started at CB uh, about ten years ago. And how many people are on your team now? Um, so you know, at CB we we work with everybody throughout the office. So you know, most people around the horn I do a lot of work with. the uh, The core team that that I work with has uh, six different people. So we've got four brokers, uh, somebody that helps handle our operations, and then a client services person. Um, and then every year we've got an intern that comes in that helps us with business development, data analytics, stacking plan updates, database updates, and stuff like that. So six and then sometimes seven as the year goes. Well, it seems like, you know, I, I know a lot of the, obviously the guys on your team and obviously Bill Sheehy is a, a good friend of mine. But I feel like one of the things that I've always respected about you guys is just your hand-to-hand comment approach. Um, I don't know how many times we've had calls at I feel like 5.15 in the morning um, when I'm <laughs> driving downtown and you guys are sometimes already in the office. Um, I don't know if you're calling calling people on the East Coast, but you're already banging calls down. And I feel like you guys, you know, are scrappy and you kind of do things the old fashioned way where, you know, it is, you know, not necessarily always just using LinkedIn, but, you know, literally just, you know, banging out as many calls as possible. And, and does that kind of that mentality, is that one, is that something that you guys look you know, look into when you when you're hiring your younger folks. I feel like that you know your younger guys kind of have that same mentality. And obviously, is that is that something that you know comes from you know your background where you kind of had to start you know in a, in a scrappy environment? Sure. Yeah. I mean, in, in Madison, it's definitely you know not a lot of connections. A little more kind of hand to hand combat, handed stuff out. I think um, you know if you look at business development in our business for the past ten years, it's definitely changed dramatically with people utilizing technology so much more and more. Um, to me, it actually, it makes your job easier, but it also makes your job harder because the more access to information everybody has, the harder it is to be unique. Um, so when we look at our business development strategies, it's definitely changed over the past 10 years. I'd say, you know, five plus years ago is definitely a little more hand-to-hand combat. And I think what we've tried to do over the past five years is really integrate the, you know, hardworking thoughtful approach, getting in early, making, you know, the quote unquote calls or emails, but really blending that in with 
credible relationships, real data, great information and experience to really bring those two worlds together, um, really trying to create kind of a win-win situation on the strategy, which is hard work and, and hit the ground running, but also um, do that through qualified relationships, experience, and, and meaningful information. Because, um, you know, 5, 10, 20 years ago, you could just call and, you know, the typical script would be, hey, I'm Mark from CBRE. I want to talk to you about my, your office lease. And that just doesn't even come close to cutting it these days. So, you know, really taking a little bit of kind of a rifle and shotgun approach, if you will. Um, it can't be so rifled that you're not, you know, really getting um, a lot of traction with just minimal outreach, but really trying to add value to, to clients and bring useful information, knowing that, you know, our time period of business development can last, you know, anywhere from six months to five plus years. So that cycle is a long-term cycle. Um, and the real background there is to just add as much value as you can over a long extended period of time. And eventually when an opportunity comes, you're, you're there to, to assist. So the, the, the quote unquote storm clouds data that, that we're, we're going to, we're going to talk about right now is really shadow space. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this a lot over the years and, and certainly with a lot of the new developments that have recently hit, um, you know, I'll let you talk about, you know, obviously the buildings that have contributed to this most, but where is that data coming from? Where, how are you mining this data? Is there, you know, some you know, proprietary software you're utilizing? Is this just you guys being, you know, you know, market experts in, in just the Chicago market? But how do you guys, you know, you know, get this data? And then maybe let's start talking about what, what, what you guys are forecasting. Definitely. Um, so, you know, a little background on it is, you know, three, four years ago, we started to do, you know, at the time, what we call the shadow space forecast, which was, you know, how much space is coming on the market that's not currently on the market. So how much space do we know is coming? Somebody's moving out of space. They haven't moved out yet. They're going to leave space behind. Maybe they're going into a new building that has even more space available. So um, in terms of how we get the data, it's a real collaboration between um, our system, which is a very systematic you know, in some ways, automated system of tracking every tenant in downtown Chicago over a certain square footage threshold. And we can slice and dice that information any way we can to really understand the moving pieces of it. And then the second part is just having a N plus team of uh, research professionals that CBRE has at our disposal who can really put some, some thought and some method and some awesome deliverables behind um, the data that we do. But, but it's not just, you know, taking a few stats from CoStar. It's literally going every building by building, every floor by floor, and going top to bottom to say, what are the moving pieces? Um, and we used to call it just shadow space. We've, we've broadened that a little bit, made the message a little more partisan between tenant and landlord to say, okay, let's be as objective as possible. Um, on, the, on the demand side, we're not economists. We're not the ones expecting to you know, tell our clients, here's exactly what demand looks like in the, in the foreseeable future. But one thing we can do is we can really dig into the supply side. Um, and it's really just fact-based information. So a couple years ago, when we started to look at the um, supply coming online for 2018 and 2019, you know, there's five or six million plus square feet coming available. Um, and the absorption at that period of time was only 800,000 square feet per year net. So when we ran the numbers to say, you know, this much space coming online versus here's how much has been taken over a three or five year period, we expected vacancy between 18 and 19 to jump, you know, 30 plus percent. Um, it ended up only jumping about 20 percent uh, for a variety of reasons. One was co-working exploded. Two was all the coastal tech firms really um, saw Chicago as a value compared to the coastal markets, 
a great deep talent pool for administrative and sales functions. And that really drove absorption through last year to uh, the highest we've seen it since, you know, pre-financial crisis in 08. So that helped offset that amount of space that we had seen hit the market in 18 and 19. Um, and that space really broken down into three categories. Uh, the first category is what we define as shadow space. And that's space that is currently occupied that we know um, they're going to be vacating and it hasn't been taken yet. Second component is just straight new construction. So if B of A anchors a building, Salesforce anchors a building, we're not taking into account the space that they're taking, but we're definitely taking into account what's left of that development that's unleased. And then the third one that's been a huge um, driver over the past couple of years in the market has been redevelopments. Um, you know, five plus years ago, we were seeing deconversions of office buildings predominantly to hotels. There were five or six of them in the West and Central Loop that became very successful. But just over the past few years is when we started to see that shift move the other way due to all of that demand with organic growth, tech, and co-working. Um, buildings like the post office, buildings like 801 South Canal now coming on the market, the Macy's redevelopment, um, what has developed to become Fulton Market that will hit on a little bit more. Um, we've seen a decentralization of the market and all of these amazing redevelopments. So when we go back to looking at um, what does 20 and 21 look like, you know, every conversation we're having is just kind of a pre-COVID and post-COVID update. Um, Pre-COVID going into, you know, January and February, we were projecting um, kind of fact-based information that about 7.3 million feet of space was going to hit the market um, compared to 18 million currently on the market. So if you've got 18 million feet and you had 7 million feet, that can have a pretty drastic impact on vacancy. Um, but what that doesn't take into account is anticipated absorption. So firms taking space. Um, so, for example, if we take the 7.3 and we just use 19 absorption um, to offset that, which is about 1.8 million per year over that two-year period, you end up with a net of about 4 million feet, which could increase vacancy by about 20%. So, um, even before COVID hit and, you know, some of the protests and the, the negative impacts that that's making on commercial real estate, especially in the CBD, we were already expecting vacancy to go up by 20% in kind of a best-case scenario uh, based on 19 absorption. That said, we already started to see the first quarter um, with tech companies, co-working, and many other groups, you know, maybe they had gone a little bit long on space. And before COVID, we started to see a little bit of a slowdown of suburban to urban, coastal firms coming in and co-working, um, because that definitely started to get pretty um, saturated um, with, you know, even 30, 40% of current co-working that leases had signed still haven't even moved into the space as of today. So when we look at, you know, what does that number look like post-COVID, well, that creates a whole new dynamic of trying to understand what um, the demand's going to be. Uh, now all the talk is about subleases, how much space is going to hit the market. Um, you know, back in 08, the sublease vacancy went up to 2%. Right now it's about 1%. So, you know, 1% is just over 2 million feet. Could sublease vacancy get to 4 million feet? And that's not taken into account all this other space we're talking about. So um, it, it's definitely, um, you know, kind of a tread lightly situation, especially from the landlord's perspective. You know, we're not out there kind of telling people what we think demand is going to be. But we do know that, you know, pre-COVID, there was a significant amount of supply hit, hit the market. Um, there's probably going to be more due to decreased absorption and subleases. Um, so it's definitely going to be interesting to see what the end of 20 and, and kind of going into 21 looks like, for sure. Uh, the, the caution there, I think, is definitely a nuanced market. 
Um, if you were to look at five different downtown assets in different submarkets, I think it's a different story for probably all of them. Some buildings were just coming out of full stabilization before COVID hit. Uh, and those average lease terms are seven to 10 years, which at that point, they're probably not that concerned about the near term um, other than just collecting rent and trying to avoid default. But I think some some landlords, you know, absolutely are going to be in a pretty tough position that we're in lease up phase. We're planning to deliver in 20. Um, you know, we had never seen spec development and now we've got 10 of them in Fulton Market, um, mostly small assets that don't make too much of a overall meaningful impact in supply. Um, but we're definitely at a at a crossroads right now where it seems like the music may have stopped from a demand perspective. And we know for a fact that a lot of supply is going to be coming. Yeah, well, we, yeah, the music has definitely stopped from a demand perspective. And 2020 seems to be like it's going to be a washout. And, um, you know, based upon the amount of one-year extensions we're working on, um, we're just not going to have the absorption um, to make up. Yeah. Um, and, and we do think, you know, transaction volume, you know, it pretty much came to a complete standstill since March. And and I would say, you know, if you ask 10 advisors now, they'd probably say it's no more than 20, maybe 25 percent of what it was. Um, but I think, you know, as the dust starts to settle, as people start to see some light at the end of the tunnel, there may be some opportunities um, if the stars align to renegotiate leases in order to help the near term um, and commit long term. Um, I think there's still so much uncertainty of, of what does the market look like in the next one to five years that it's tough to pin where those rents should be. But I, I do think that, you know, some velocity will start to pick up, um, you know, going in the end of this year and early next year. I think one good thing that Chicago has compared to coastal markets when it comes to COVID impact is just how diverse our economy is. Um, you know, we're not really heavy in any particular industry. We're pretty diversified amongst financial services tech, co-working, law firms, um, you know, TAMI, et cetera. So, you know, when you see San Francisco, New York, and other coastal markets that are heavier in certain areas, they see much bigger swings in rental rates than we do. Um, even in the past five years, rental rates have only gone up an average of 2.7% per year in Chicago. Most of that increase is due to, you know, a significant tax hike. Um, but I'm hoping that, you know, similarly to how when times are good, rental rates don't go up too much. Um, hopefully the other end of the spectrum isn't so bad when it comes to, um, you know, when things aren't going so hot. So you, you've accumulated all this data. You've got the facts. Uh, I, I, I'm, we're not here to have you, you know, divulge any of the trade secrets um, of your team. But, what you know, you, t you have this information. What, what, what do you do with it? What, what, what do you how do you articulate this to your clients? How do you utilize this um, um, to, 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 to your benefit and, and to the, you know, hopefully the continued success of your team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, back to that initial comment about how much, you know, business development and relationships have changed. You know, obviously people have been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years. So my time here hasn't been nearly as much as others, but I do know that, you know, having more of that rightful approach and more of that specific information is super important. So, you know, one thing we try to do as a team is we try to, create systems that are foolproof and that have rules behind them to ensure we have the best quality and consistent data. Um, and the systems that we utilize enable us to essentially export that data in, in multiple facets. And we can use our marketing and research team to really visualize that data. So, um, you know, when it comes to a broad stroke of the market and understanding the impacts of COVID or the impacts of uh, this market availability we know coming and be able to visualize that, I think that that helps 
overall frame the discussion about how much leverage a tenant may or may not have um, in a certain circumstance. But I think the, the most important way to you know, capitalize on all this data is to really take that focused approach on a case-by-case basis. So um, anytime we're meeting with a client, you know, we're looking at that specific building, every expiration, when that debt expires, what kind of role they have, what their average rental rate and lease terms are. Um, and, and with the data, knowing every tenant, when they expire, um, and all of this proprietary information, we're able to really kind of craft that narrative um, to the tenant and use it to the best advantage we can, um, depending on the circumstance. So it's it's you definitely need to be you know not at the right place at the right time, but if you're at the right place all the time, um, you'll start to find opportunities in certain circumstances, and it's really just driven by what the tenant needs. Um, you know, all of this change in the real estate market is definitely impactful but that's only a small fraction of the critical drivers behind an organization. So, you know, HR is number one, um, you know, short, mid and long-term outlook. So we're really kind of taking all this data from a, a, a market um, nationally, locally down to the building. And then we're just comparing that to, you know, what the tenants core drivers are to see if there's any alignment. And a lot of discussions we have result in nothing. You know, it just, here's the information, here's the status given X, Y, or Z, based on what your business drivers are, there's nothing to do. But, um, you know, a lot of times you can find unique kind of under the radar opportunities for tenants um, with with great quality data about the market of the building. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people have been tiptoeing around doing new business, right? Trying to be sensitive to, you know, what's going on in the world and not not wanting to be tone deaf um, to what's happening. I mean, I've, we, we, we've talked to some people that, you know, have had Zoom pitches um, and other virtual, you know, type, you know, business development, you know, programs going on. Is is that something that, you know, your team is, is doing right now as well? Or have, have you guys really just been hands off and really just educating your existing clients? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's definitely an interesting time when it comes to business development. Um, the last thing anyone wants to be is, is tone deaf and to not, you know, appreciate multiple uh, things happening in the market and the world right now. Um, when it comes to, you know, how we've been approaching business development in general, I would say the first phase is to uh, take your existing clients and prospects and contacts and keep them as, as informed as you can. Um, you know, every day we're waking up and saying, what is the best latest information we could provide? Because everybody knows that you're getting invited to way too many Zoom calls. You're getting way too many playbooks. You're hearing way too much advice. The one thing we've tried to do is just stay sensitive in terms of how much information we're sharing because we know people are being inundated and we're always trying to think about, you know, what's that kind of next thing you should be thinking about as an occupier so that we can, you know, inform our clients on kind of the, the cutting edge. And I think that's where, you know, CB is, is well positioned um, just because they're seeing the management of more properties in the world, the advisory of more tenants uh, kind of down the line. So it's been kind of a cool place to be at this time because we've been able to take all of this data and information globally, nationally, um, and kind of compare different markets to maybe places that are X amount of days ahead of that we are in terms of COVID, and how can we project what you should be thinking about as an occupier and what you should expect as an occupier compared to, you know, what CB seeing in London or what CB seeing in China. Um, so that's important. And then on the new business development side, I think, you know, information is power. So you know, this pandemic, despite the fact that we haven't been able to get in front physically of anybody, we've definitely had a lot of great opportunities to assist um, prospects with a variety of things. 
um, you know, helping them understand the dynamics of rent forbearance and forgiveness throughout the pandemic, um, giving them information on kind of coming back to the office. Well, I think a lot of occupiers are just looking for a second opinion right now. Um, you know, there's so much fluidity in the market and fluidity in um, what people are being told to and to not do. I think that information is power on that front. So, um, you know, you'd think it'd be really tough to get in front of new faces, but we've definitely seen um, just quality information um, go a long way when it comes to getting in front of new people over the past three months, for sure. And to bring this full circle, any any silver linings that you and your team have have, have found, you know, through through the last three months, I think. We just, you know, a few days ago when we talked, you mentioned you've, you're you're about as busy as you've ever been. Um, but, you know, obviously you're spending a lot more, I imagine you're spending a lot more time at home. Um, obviously, your wife Marina, who's in the industry as well and works at CBRE as well, you guys are like a, you know, power couple, real estate jargon opportunity to you. But any, anything that, you know, you guys have, um, have found from, you know, this experience that you've gone through that um, is worth you know, mentioning? Yeah, I mean, I, I think personally, it's been amazing to just be able to, you know, take a breath, get away from the office, um, not really be caught up in, you know, what you consider to be the rat race. Um, I know, you know, myself and a handful of friends in the business have, have definitely taken the opportunity to travel a little bit more than, than you maybe could have because you can work mobily. Um, I'm pretty sure, you know, it's kind of weird. Some people think you're drinking more or drinking less. I feel like a lot of people have been drinking less because you just can't go out. Yeah. So, you know, people have definitely been positively impacted on that. I think, you know, people have been working out probably more than they have just outdoors and shoot. I, I mean, I've been shoot, running around. I mean, some of your, some of your, your, your whole team was running Hills yesterday. Yeah. I mean, up in Northbrook, you just follow the pack, but um, you know, you know, nobody ever appreciated a, a city park until three months ago. And then you just start running around. You're like, wow, this is actually pretty nice. Um, but it's definitely been an opportunity to just, you know, take a step back, take a breather, um, you know, not be stressed out every day, getting in early, staying late. So I think it's, a, a you know, the silver lining is that it's a it's a really good kind of hit the reset button, reestablish um, what you really need as a human, um, because, you know, clearly everyone was over consuming and, and hopefully it creates a good opportunity to you know, get a little bit of a positive reset on a lot of, a lot of fronts. Well, dude, I, I really appreciate you taking the time today. You know, um, I appreciate your friendship. Um, I appreciate you, you know, anytime I've, I've, I needed help with information, you know, throughout my career, you know, um, you've been there to help me out and especially from a, from a data standpoint. Um, I mean, what, what, what we just went through, um, um, some of that factual data you just gave me, I think, just proves exactly what I've always thought. I mean, I think you're you're the data king in Chicago. Um, you know, I feel like, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I got to learn a little bit more about your story. Um, again, I feel I feel terrible that I that I never uh, never knew some of that stuff about you. But um, we appreciate you know we appreciate you. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your support over the years. Um, and you know, really looking forward to to getting back and maybe having a beer or two. With you at a, at a bar. Yeah, uh, appreciate you guys reaching out to me. Um, I think it's great to you know hit a little bit on the personal side. I'm I'm looking forward to you know hearing about other people, um, but I do think that you know the idea of putting a little kind of personalization behind it's key because you know it can be a pretty polarizing business um, with you know the guard up quite a bit. So appreciate what you guys are doing and, and glad you guys gave me the opportunity to chat with you.